You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, it's that time of year where we are trying to organize and prep and plan for the upcoming season. And some of the gear that we use takes batteries. Now, you should go visit your local Interstate Battery store or visit interstatebatteries.com to check out all the different varieties of batteries that they offer. They have truck batteries they have batteries for your trail cameras they have batteries for your rangefinder and everything else that is electronic that you use for your hunting equipment they have batteries for that interstatebatteries.com awesome company check them out Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have one hell of a podcast. I don't think I've done like a really good BS session in a couple weeks at least, maybe, I don't know, even a month. We've been doing the epic stories, but today we are talking to Ryan O'Malley. And he is from Vermont, and he hunts in Vermont and New Hampshire. And this is a good old BS session about where he hunts, how he hunts, the deer population, the terrain that he hunts, the food sources, how he accesses his tree stands, a whole bunch of crap uh, packed into one awesome podcast, and that's what uh, today is about. And I forgot to mention in the introduction there that... We have a new title sponsor. It's Vortex Optics. And if uh, you guys have never uh, checked out Vortex Optics, you need to go to their website, vortexoptics.com. I've been running their binoculars for a very long time. And uh, they have something called a VIP warranty. And I've taken advantage of this VIP warranty two times, right? Now, most of the time in any aspect of life, you buy a product and you damage that product, whether it's your fault or somebody else's fault. That product is a lost lost cause. However, with uh, Vortex Optics products, this very important promise is they will repair or replace your Vortex product in the event it becomes damaged or defective at no charge to you. So my experience with this is the first time I had a seal broken um, in one of the tubes and moisture got in. So I had a foggy a foggy lens all the time. I couldn't get it out, couldn't dry it out, turned it in. A couple weeks later, uh, they sent it back to me, brand, you know, fixed, repaired, replaced, perfect, right? 
The second time, I cracked the whole front end. I think I adjusted my seat in my truck back and in between the end of the stop and uh, the slide where it all kind of where it moves my binoculars were there so I cracked that and uh, you send it back and they they fixed it and sent it back and it just works perfectly up until the point they if your binoculars or whatever you buy from them gets damaged in let's say like a house fire or a grizzly bear chews on it they will replace it for you at no charge so uh that's one hell of a deal uh that's a company that really supports its i guess customers right uh they they want lifelong customers and uh they're gonna have one with me so vortexoptics.com check out their range finders binoculars rifle scopes spotting scopes they have gear check it out awesome company glad they're part of this um and that's the commercial. So now it's podcast time. Hopefully you guys enjoy this BS session with Ryan O'Malley. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Ryan O'Malley. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, Dan? Can't complain. Can't complain. Had a right, great, good. I had uh, one of those weekends where I shipped all the kids off to the grandparents, and me and my wife mm-hmm. had 48 hours with no kids, and we got to we got to decompress a little bit, and then yesterday, uh, which is was a Sunday, um, I checked some trail cameras, or I checked a trail camera, and then I went fishing with my kids and my wife, and it was just it was hot, but it was uh, a really fun day. And I'm not sure it gets any better than that. No, not at all. Maybe, maybe checking three trail cameras is better. For, yes, yes. That. If I could, if I could have <laughs> checked all of them, but here's the deal: I was uh, so the first one I could pull right up to it. Uh, in the truck, pop over a little fence. You know, I was wearing mm-hmm. shorts, no problem. The second one I pull up to, wall of poison ivy between uh-huh. me and the camera. And I just said, uh, at least I can see it's still there. Uh, no, not a problem. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just going to nope. let this one ride out. Yep, <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of my favorite ways to do the cameras. I, I got a few roadside spots, and if I think it's hot, I look for the trail coming out, and I just... Hop right in there, put a camera or two, and then walk away for two weeks. Yeah. You know, I talked to a guy in South Dakota who, uh, he's a traveling salesman, uh, and uh, basically he refinishes um, gymnasium floors. So mm-hmm. he's on the road a lot. And right. so going, bouncing around to all this public land, he'll put a trail camera out there for two weeks. And then when he drives by again two weeks later, uh, right off a road, right off a, a, a well beaten trail, uh, dude, that led him to shoot one year just a complete giant of a whitetail. So, yeah. dude, I, I, I love, absolutely believe it. I love the strategy like that. I, I honestly, I have a, um, I have a one hour and fifteen minute commute to work every day, and it's got nothing to do with traffic. It's just because you can't get there from here. That's yeah, in Vermont. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so like I take full advantage of it. Gotcha. I have I, I leave a break crown with trail cameras behind me every time I go to work. <laughs> awesome and then you just check them on the way back yeah i tell them you know i give it a couple weeks maybe yeah um then check them on the yeah on the way back through has that ever led has that ever led to you being successful yeah sure definitely gotcha and and not only just like on a specific deer just in the area you know mostly because you know like like you probably heard our numbers are not the highest around here so if i can find an area you know i'll just I'll scope a trail because I've passed plenty of public land 
I'll fill the trail that's got some some activity on. I'll go in there and I'll just see what type of deer are crossing there. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect transition, uh, Ryan. Why don't you let everybody know where you live and then what do you do for a living? All right. So here, here's the deal. I live in the northeast kingdom of Vermont. So we're kind of like uh, north uh, northeast Vermont, but it's, I'm kind of down towards the central area, just a little bit more still in the northeast kingdom, though. Um, so I'm, but I'm actually right across the river from New Hampshire as well. Okay. So I kind of have, I have the best of both worlds, which is pretty awesome. Gotcha. Uh, so basically, I have two full seasons every year, and then um, yeah, and then I'm a, I'm a teacher and okay. a chef. So I spent uh, 15 years being a professional chef, executive chef, you know, uh, different restaurants, and then um, I started teaching at a place called the New England Culinary Institute, and I spent about five years there. Then I've been in high schools for five years now as well. Nice. Okay. Which well, which really blends well with my my deer hunting lifestyle. Right. Right. All right, so I'm going to have to share some Vermont uh, memories with you. My my aunt used to live in Vermont on the opposite side of the state. In a, she yep. worked in a town called Burlington, but there was yep, a little, little town called Burlington. Yep, and then there was another town somewhere around there. I think it was called Manchester, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So, Manchester is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, out her back deck she could see like all these little you know the appalachian mountains right which was cool right so yeah they had a place called the alpine slides which is these giant <laughs> sl- like slides that you put a little card in and haul ass i don't down even the know how those things are legal <laughs> i know right dude i wiped out like five times it's it yeah i mean i can't believe that place isn't like been sued to death oh my gosh I, I never actually went there, but like growing up is like, you know, a pine slide and I always wanted to go, but then I had a couple of friends who went and they're like, no, it was pretty terrible. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's, it'd be just like taking a, there was like the, the break that you held between your legs. It wasn't <laughs> really a break. It was, you can go as fast as you want, or you can go just a little bit slower. And, and, oh man, I just remember hitting a turn and my, my cart that I was on took the turn, but I did not. I just kept going straight. So, yeah, right. So yeah, that's, uh, that was fun. But anyway, no, no permanent damage. That's right. That's right. You know, you're not the, you're not the first guy I've had on the podcast from Vermont. And the, the guy that I talked with said he would go in a, in a typical year he would see somewhere around five deer total uh, mm-hmm. up where he, where he was hunting. Do you have a similar experience to that? Well, you know, that's kind of a funny one right there. So, so yes, I have had a similar experience to that. Um, however, really in a way I could almost say you could see as many deer as you want okay, or as few deer as you want. So, I think my, I'll, I'll put it this way, my first uh, 10 years of hunting um, as an adult, I really didn't put all the time in. We had a 16-day rifle season, and I would probably hunt five to 10 of those days. I was a chef, and I was really busy. Uh, once my schedule started lightening up a little bit, I started putting a lot more uh, effort and energy into it. Right. And then that's when I started picking up the muzzle loader and the bow, and then, like, you know, checking out new hampshire as well which is right across the border right but um 
You know, it, it depends. Like, if you want to go to the area where there's where there's higher numbers of deer, you can go there. Um, you're going to see a lot of fawns and a lot of does. Yeah. But you can you bump that number up to 30 real quick. There are 45 or 100 if you really want to. Okay. Um, but in my experience, if you want to find the buck, you're going to say, okay, you know what, I may go this entire season with seeing, yeah, 15 or 20 deer, um, but I might shoot one or two of them. Gotcha. So it, it basically just different, just like, I guess, every part of the state. Like, I'm from Iowa. Northwest yep. Iowa has a much smaller population of deer than the southern and southeastern part of the state. Um, so is that the same way with uh, uh, Vermont? Yeah, well, 100%. You know, so like we, so I live, um, we're super diverse. And that's one of the things I really love about hunting here. Um, but I live uh, in the Connecticut River Valley. So, it's, you know, it's a pretty big river. Um, and we actually have some farmland here, not a ton, but, you know, basically right along the river, you, you can find some cropland. If you hunt in there or just outside of there, you are going to, um, yeah, you'll definitely see the numbers. Um, but then you get to the other half of the state and there's other areas like that around the state, but you get to the other half about our wildlife management units are basically split in half the mountain regions and the valley regions in the mountains. You're not going to see very many deer. And honestly, going up there, going up to a mountaintop and sitting up there with a with a climber or a hang on or something like that, I wouldn't expect to see a whole lot of deer. Um, that's more for the tracking uh, when, once you kind of get to that section. Um, but yeah, it's, we have two. It's a tale of two states, really. Okay. So, what is that? A, a northern and southern, or eastern and western? Um, actually, it's it's both. So like, when you say Manchester, that's like south ish central kind of on the western side and that's right uh next to the green mountain national forest okay which is absolutely huge there's tons and tons and tons of public land there um but once you get into the green mountain national forest we don't have the habitat um that supports the deer herd like we do in the rest of the state right. so really we have um 10 inch hardwood trees and up uh limited understory not a whole lot of browse not great wintering areas and you're going to see the real low deer harvest per square mile. Gotcha. Um, once you get to my side of the state, right now, I believe last year my area was right around 2.8 deer harvested per square mile. And then once you get to the mountains, you're talking less than one. Okay. All right. So, so, I follow the, the reports quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So definitely pockets throughout the entire state. Now, sure. um, yeah. you hunt mostly Vermont and then hop over to New Hampshire. Are both of those states over-the-counter tags? Like, can anybody come yeah. in and buy a tag? Anybody can come in. And in Vermont, we, 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 uh, we, we, love, your, we love your dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so then... Um, but, yeah, but not a whole lot of people come to Vermont. I would say more people would actually go to New Hampshire. Right. Now, are those... Is there quotas? Like, in Iowa... Uh, every county has its own quota. Like you can kill this many does, Like There's this many doe tags. And then once we hit that quota, it's gone. The county that I live in, because it's a higher population center, though it goes on day one, they they're all done. And then now the, the county that I hunt the most in, there's always like 500 left over. Okay. So, so like they're doing real time uh, accounting for the does. Yes. Yes. So yes. Yeah. Um, no, it's, you know, Vermont's kind of funny because 
when you look at Vermont's hunting heritage, it goes way back. 1777, we have uh, an amendment in the Constitution that guarantees the right for all, all the inhabitants of the state to hunt. So in that, they actually said a lot of the decision-making power went to the legislature. So we have a very specific rifle season. And during our rifle season, the legislature has said that there is, will be no uh, doe harvesting during that. Oh, wow. So what they do... Yeah, so we could go to the legislature, but honestly, a lot of people are not really for that because um, that can mean they start tampering with, with the other stuff, I guess. Right. Um, so our doe management is uh, done with bow and with muzzleloader. Um, so every year they issue about seventeen to 20,000 uh, antlerless muzzleloader tags right now. Right. And we're, we're kind of not um, hitting the mark at all. Uh, in some of the WMUs, we are hitting the mark, but in others, we're not. So that's actually moved into uh, next year, I believe, we're going into a whole new deer management plan. And they are going to do uh, locally higher doe harvest rates. Okay. So it'll be, it'll be a little bit closer to the Iowa model. Uh, new Hampshire is a little bit more, you know, loosey-goosey. Uh, they don't really have much of a way to account for it, but they believe, and I think that they're actually doing a pretty good job just the way they're doing it now. Nice, nice. Which is, uh, yeah. They uh, limit the amount of dough you can get with a bow uh, more than Vermont. And right. you can do a dough either or um, first day of muzzleloader or rifle season. Gotcha. So I'm curious uh, about the terrain and the agriculture and the food sources right. out there. Why don't you walk us through that? Yeah. All right, cool. So, you know, like I said, you can kind of like divide the state into two different parts. You know, you have like the valleys and then you have the mountains. Um, in the valleys, you are going to find some sort of agriculture, um, but the valleys are not huge. And um, so, you know, and when I say valleys, we're still rolling hills, you know, all the way through the valley. So there's not really much of the, in the way of uh, bottom land. Um, as far as agriculture, I honestly don't count on it a whole lot, uh, especially in Vermont. Our bow season doesn't start right now until the first uh, Saturday in October. So really all of the corn is pulled by then. Um, all of the crops are pulled by then. Um, they're going to be out there scavenging around, but that's not that's a nocturnal thing. Um, I'm, you're not going to see them out there in the middle of the cornfield during the day or anything, you know, really that uh, you'd be looking for. Okay. Um, so, so really we're all about the mast here. Um, and, you know, we have different types um, oaks. Like, uh, in my opinion, the way I hunt, oak is king. Okay. Uh, we don't have white oaks. We have red oaks. Um, there are some white oaks. New Hampshire definitely has a fair share in the southern region. Um, there are some white oaks in Vermont, but not enough to really um, to really count on. Uh, if you find a nice uh, white oak or a couple of nice white oaks, um, you'd want to sit on them. Uh, however, I honestly have never found a place in the places that I hunt that have good uh, white oaks. So red oaks are good. Um, they hammer them. Yeah, and we also have beech nuts. Um, that's one. That's a more of an intermittent crop. We're gonna have a good beech season between uh, every three and five years. Uh, we're coming into that right now. Um, people are a little excited about that. And then apples. You know, if you have a good apple tree, um, a nice hot apple tree, that's where you're gonna find um, scrapes and rubs around there, and um, you're just gonna see a ton of activity around those. Okay. Uh, besides that, you know, so we have that stuff like a mass. Last year was a terrible mass year. There was, there was almost zero apples, almost zero acorns, 
there was uh, no beach. Um, so that actually, that kind of that sent me for a loop. It took me a little while to readjust, um, which, you know, I love to look back on the season. That's why I should have done a little bit differently. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, besides that, yeah, and it's, oh, cuts. Cuts are really big. Um, so we have clear cuts, select cuts, um, you know, first year, second year, third year, 10 year regrowth on cuts. Um, you can have a cut that was five acres, uh, five acre clear cut, uh, three years in, three or four years in. Um, if they left the oaks out there, that'd be fantastic. Um, we'll hunt around the cut. So like, if you don't have the good mast, then you're looking for the cut. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people associate big acorn crop drops or something about the October lull, right? Yeah. When, yeah, sure. When you see a bigger than average or I guess a very abundant acorn drop, do you tend to see a um, a reduction in deer movement from the stand? Yeah, if your ladder stands in one place and that's where you go sit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they're they're still out there. Um, I'm not a huge believer in the October law. I think it's just, it's a time in between when they're moving from summer pattern to their rut pattern. Right. Um, and you know, and, and they're going to eat, but you're right. They, they, they really might not travel a whole lot during the course of the day. Um, you know, the big, uh, Warren Wolnick, have you heard of him? Yep. I know Warren. Yep. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, um, of, of some of the things that he said, actually, Found this. Uh, I found a document that he just wrote down like fifty things on one time. And I was reading through that, and that really kind of like helped me change some of my methodology and his idea of just scouting until he finds the hot food source. Yeah, you know, so I'm a mobile hunter, um, stand a stick on my back or a saddle or a stool or whatever I really feel like I'm a climber. Sometimes whatever I feel like I'm going to do, and I just go out there and you look for that one tree that's absolutely getting hammered. If you feel like your access was good to it, I would say that's a pretty good place to sit during a during a time like that. Right, right. So, for the most part, you are a mobile hunter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, pretty much. You know, I I went from um, in my, basically the course of my hunting career, I used to just kind of like poke around in the woods. Yeah, and basically uh, scare does in their bedding areas. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and then I started setting up some permanent stands and that's when I actually started having my success was setting up permanent stands. Um, but it wasn't the success that I was looking for. Gotcha. And then I, at a certain point, I'm like, you know, what's going on? So I started, you know, listening to the podcast, you know, uh, your, your famous running gun. I started hearing about that, you know, a while I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe I, maybe I should really start giving this sort of thing a try. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and just start checking all that stuff out and, Honestly, I haven't sat in a permanent stand for three years, probably. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, are you hunting mostly on public, or do you sprinkle in some private in there as well? <laughs> right. My, uh, my, my, um, my motto is, like, gets in where I fits in. Right. Um, yeah, I just, like, honestly, um, Vermont's got some pretty uh, good uh, protections for hunting. Yep. Um, so, like, if there's, like, a... Uh, you know, I, I don't like hunt on people's like uh, I won't you know stop on somebody's twenty or thirty acre piece to hunt their property at all. But if you have two hundred acres that's unposted um, right up on some public land, it's all kind of fair game in that. Gotcha. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I, I honestly I couldn't tell you how much. We have um, the river, which have, we have some dams here, so some conservation lands up and around that. Um, and then we just have tons of public land, just lots that people just don't even know where to look for it. Town forest, you know, most of the towns in Vermont have their own town forest between 20 and uh, 200 acres. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, honestly, I, I do hunt some private. I probably could do a little bit better sometimes if I stuck to the private a little bit more. Um, but I just, honestly, I love the experience. Yeah. All right. So yeah, and, and I also have property too. Okay. I have 30 acres myself. Gotcha. And all of that's in, in Vermont or when you, yep. when you bounce over to New Hampshire, is that all public hunt? Uh, yeah, I would say it's pretty much all public. Um, yeah. I mean, public, uh, public, uh, private conservation land and then, you know, just public, public land. Right. So between the two states, you know, let's say I, I make you choose one to hunt. Which one are you putting all your time and energy into? Um, yes, that's a hard one because I'm a big proponent of hunting Vermont. Yep. Uh, it's my home state. I just, I kind of like, I've always felt like, you know, like if you can get it done where you live, um, that's probably best. Um, however, at the same time, there's something about New Hampshire that I really like. Um, their season is is way longer than Vermont's. Vermont's got a three-and-a-half-week bow season, uh, early bow season that you can bow hunt during motherwood season for another week at the end. Um, but, you know, uh, New Hampshire, September 15th uh, is the bow opener, and then it closes December 15th. So it's three straight months there. Holy smokes. Yeah, so if I had to pick one, I would just say I'm just probably going to do New Hampshire because – you know, I can take time off or go out or do whatever I want. Okay. And Vermont's kind of like more of a truncated period of time. It's like, I got to hunt today. Right. Right. All right. So let's talk about quality of bucks because, you know, <laughs> obviously you, when you, when you start talking about the East coast, right. States yep. like Pennsylvania come to mind, lots of hunting pressure. And then you also start moving even, even, even further West and Northeast uh, or excuse me, further east and northeast of yeah, Pennsylvania, right. New York, higher population centers, right? The country really isn't the country, like we would say out here in, in Iowa in the Midwest, right? And sure. the parcels are smaller, so there's just more of a human presence. What's, what we do is, have greater fragmentation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what is the um, the quality of the, the bucks in the area? So like if you had a deer come through, what makes you poop your pants? Uh, I honestly, I would say, you know, a tall pine. If I'm looking for something, I'd say a tall pine uh, ten pointer is probably going to be maybe one twenty to one thirty. Okay, and that's uh, yeah, I mean, that's honestly, the higher that, end. That, that is the higher end. You know, um, I, I know one of our local taxidermists, and honestly, he says, you know, out of Vermont every year, you're going to get a handful of one thirty fives to one forties. Right. And I don't, uh, I looked before, I'm not really sure. I think maybe we've had uh, one or two Boone and Crockett's come out of Vermont ever. 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 Yeah, New Hampshire is a little bit better. Yeah. Um, the, for some reason, their quality of deer, uh, buck over there, is is uh, quite a bit larger. I think it's got something to do with um, the uh, firearms opener. You can either shoot a doe or a buck, but that's your one firearms deer. Okay. 
But people want to get out there and they just want to shoot a deer and get back home and move on with their life. They're just shooting a doe that first day. Gotcha. So you are getting so many guys out of the woods right away. Right. Right. And then it kind of it, it takes the pressure off the buck herd. In Vermont, our buck herd has crazy pressure. Yeah. Um, now, once you get into Maine, you know, so up there, you know, so a lot of hunters will actually go up to Maine. I've never actually done the Maine thing, but I know a lot of people who do. And um, once you get up there, you get into the paper company land, you know, you're on the northern edge of the whitetail habitat. The deer body is much bigger up there. Um, and then you have millions of acres of uh, paper land that you can go out on. And so, and so some of these deer, they just last much longer up there. So there's some really impressive racks that will come out of, uh, out of Maine. Um, some decent racks will come out of uh, uh, Massachusetts. Bigger ones than New Hampshire even. Uh, New Hampshire's pretty good. Uh, Vermont is cursed. Yeah. Yeah. And you think, some of, that, you think some of that has to do with uh, the, the food source and the hunting pressure? Yeah, there's a couple different things. Yeah, so um, hunting pressure is, is, is pretty big. You know, like they say, our buck herd is a very, um, there's a lot of pressure on the buck harvest. Um, that's one. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of guys, they, they just won't shoot a doe. They, you know, they say, oh, that's your, that's your breeder. I wouldn't shoot a doe. That's for the girls and the boys and all that. And um, honestly, I don't think they really get a full uh, perspective of the management plan. Um so they'll all just hold out for a buck, and it could be a it could be a spike horn, you know, not spike right. horn, obviously a spike law, but you know, a three pointer or something like that. Um, yeah, and then another thing they're really taking into consideration is our soils. We have two inches of soil, of poor soil on top of rocky ledge. You know, it may, may not be that bad everywhere, but but really we have uh, little in the way of topsoil, so our our minerals, our nutrition isn't kind of all there, I guess. Right. Um, and a lot of our habitat is just in that 10 inch hardwood that just offers absolutely nothing for the deer. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and honestly, I've been kind of like thinking about the cropland thing a little bit these days too. And, you know, you see some decent deer coming out of areas with, with, um, uh, close proximity to like, you know, corn and all that. But honestly, it just, it doesn't get huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then when, when you say, uh, let's say a 135, a one, a mm-hmm. 130 inch deer is on the higher end. Uh, oh, yeah. equ- equivalent that to an age class. Oh yeah. You know, um, I, I would say, you know, that's going to be your four and a half and up. Okay. So even yeah. if they do and, start reaching and another, another thing, hang on. go ahead. If they do start reaching that higher age class, that just doesn't reflect the, I mean, you know, here I am comparing, you know, apples right. to bowling balls, right? Like mm-hmm. in Iowa, a four and a half year old, you're going to start seeing a larger rack just because he's hit four years old, right? He, and he's right. got, if he, if he's lived that long, that means he's found the nutrition that works, whatever, a gen, you know, of course, genetics put aside, but mm-hmm. out there, just because a uh, an animal reaches maturity doesn't mean that he's going to have you know a big rack that is absolutely correct we honestly i mean a uh a uh a six-year-old four-pointer is not like out of out of the question out here yeah. a six-year-old uh 95 inch or 100 inch four-pointer is not out of the question gotcha and you know but we also we also don't score our deer 100 percent on 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 inches up here 
Now, a lot of the guys who travel, they probably all will. And, you know, we all talk about it. Um, but really, weight is still king. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that from the Northeast, but, but the gold standard in the Northeast is a 200-pound buck. Right. And, you know, the last guy that I talked with from Vermont, Vermont mentioned the same thing. He's like, yeah, yeah, the buck I shot was 200 pounds, and that's kind of a yeah. that's a big deal out there. That I'm still chasing the 200 pounder. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, yeah, it's, yeah it's, you, they, you get a patch and all that, and so you know, it's cr- tape It's crazy how there's still you know, like obviously everybody's like, oh, Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young, and mm-hmm. all, all this crap about measuring antlers, right? Yep. And there's still places and people that talk about that like the rack isn't that important it's more about the weight but i think you could also correlate that to well the deer in our area never get big anyway so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what their antlers are uh weight you know i caught i shot a big one a big bodied deer yeah so you know like so like here's the deal like i'm not a turkey hunter um, and I, I don't know why it's kind of like, if, you know, when I tell people that they look at me, you know, the squinty eyes and all that, I'm just too much into, into deer hunting and fishing, honestly. Right. Um, and I, I do other things during that time of year. Um, but when you tell me about the size of the turkey spurs, I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just kind of equivalent to rolling a deer over and looking at a penis to see how big it is to me. Yeah. Uh, so I think it goes down to like, you know, what are you chasing? Right. And, um, and like, if you're chasing one of those things, then, then that's what you're going for. And honestly, when you look at a deer's tracks, it tells you nothing about, about the size of a deer. Or not about, about the, uh, about the size of his antlers. Right. You Absolutely. know, so like, and tracking is a big thing around here. You know, you get on a big track and you're like, okay, so what are you going to do? You need to have that giant track and here's a 200 pound four pointer. like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Um, so let's, uh, let's kind of pivot at this point and start talking about, you know, it's summertime right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just checked a, a trail camera yesterday, um, had a couple of decent deer on it. Uh, got to see some velvet, got to see some fawns. Um, yeah. when do you start really getting fired up for your season? <laughs> December 16th. December? December 16th. Okay. Yep. And why December uh, my, 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 my season ends uh, December 15th, and I am fired up December 16th. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, it, so <laughs> yeah. you're a, I, I'm a, you're a all-year guy. guy. Okay. I oh, gotcha. yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, okay. if, it's, if it's a good day when I go to sleep, um, I'm thinking about deer. Yeah, that's awesome. That's how I know I have a whole lot of stress. Um, but, yeah, I'm getting amped up right now. Right. I'm really starting to uh, I'm starting to, to get to my, uh, my, my happy place. Honestly, I'm I'm starting to think about the moment of truth right now. Um, I'm just kind of like going. I, I, I'm building hunts in my head right now, and I'm I bring myself up to the moment of truth, and I'm just trying to find that that inner to uh, to uh, to let one fly. Yeah. Um, so I so I think about all of it. Like, how am I getting in? Um, access is huge to me. Like right now, I'm making sure my access uh, my access is. is the plot properties I want to get on is, is all planned out. Uh, making sure that my uh, my archery game is on, you know, not kind of uh, letting softballs at 20 yards fly. Right. Um, 
like, you know, really aim small, miss small. Um, getting fired up with my trail cameras. I I have probably yeah, about 15 different bucks on trail cameras this year, which is pretty decent. Um, I would say I'd be very happy to take uh, two or three of those bucks, um, but probably I would say seven of those um, are, are will go down if I see them. Gotcha. So I'm kind of just getting to that point. Uh, finishing up my food plots, um, finishing up firewood. I, I, I maintain my property. Got you. Um, yep, making, uh, putting in a few mock scrapes right now. Um, yeah, food plots, just kind of getting everything ready. Right. Checking out the mass. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of like, I'm at the point right now where I'm not looking for new property. I'm just really kind of trying to, to dig in just a little bit more. Hyper focus. Um, the properties I have. Hyper focus on your uh, on the properties that you do have, right? Right. So I cast a wide net early in the year. Gotcha. And now we're kind of like, and and I don't want to say hyper focus like I'm in there boots on the ground all the time. Very, right. I'm very, very, very cautious about pressure. Uh, if it's a new property, I'll, I'll go tromp it through, it and I probably might put a camera out for next year. Okay. Um, but right now, I'm not. I'm not going anywhere near bedding areas or anything like that. Gotcha. All right. So. You're, it sounds to me like you're putting together your hit list, right? You've got some, mm-hmm. you've got some bucks already on camera that you've been checking and you've been watching. Yep. Um, are a lot of these deer return customers from previous years? You know, it's kind of funny. So like I said, you know, like in the past, I would say in the past, you know, um, six years specifically, I've, I've gotten uh, a lot more into uh, whitetail hunting where it's kind of like, I wouldn't want to say it's my dominate my thought, but a lot of them. Um, so I'm kind of like, I've been gaining new properties so much over the past five years. I really haven't dug down too deep in many of them. Um, but yeah, I have like one deer on my property is, is honest to God, the first, I believe four and a half year old, uh, deer that I've seen on my property in 10 years. Uh, and I've watched him for the past two years. So he's kind of, he's kind of a contender for me. Um, I have uh, a buck from last year that I called Mr. Disappointment. I don't really name a whole lot of my bucks, but I got to say I was pretty disappointed last year. Uh, I tracked him for a few miles, and the shot didn't quite happen. Um, so I got him on camera. He's looking pretty good. And then there's another area uh, over in New Hampshire where um, there was an absolute uh, beast that I was kind of after last year. Um, and he's uh, back around now. So I got, I got three return customers, I would say. Gotcha. Cool, cool. Let's see. Um, now, you know, you start putting together the pieces of the puzzle as far as the, um, you know, as far as the, you know, locating, putting your hit list together, whatever. Mm-hmm. As it starts getting closer to the season, how do you start really breaking down which deer you're going to go after on what property? Is it all tr- based off trail camera intel? Yeah, I would say I would say trail camera intel is probably going to be my my primary source. Um, and then honestly, the closer I get to season, I really start looking around for people pressure too. Yeah. Uh, and if I start, I try not to become emotionally attached to a deer. Right. Um, so if I start seeing people pressure, I am going to move that one um, back back down the list. I guess at that point. Okay. Um, yeah, just uh, setting up trees now. Uh, that's kind of you know if I the ones the the ones that I think that I would like to um, to go for I'm going to go through I'm going to set up some trees 
Uh, I'll probably hunt uh, two out of every ten trees that I kind of get set up a little bit. Or okay. you know, maybe not set up, but that's not the word. Uh, killing trees, finding the killing trees. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, just kind of just, just getting ready. Um, I got a, I, I got a new John boat that I'm kind of like uh, tricking out a little bit for um, access. Um, yeah, so just kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm on the downward slope right now. I feel like I could go out there and I could do, get the job done. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, but, but then, again, but then again, at the same time, you know, out of the four deer that I shot last year, I had never been on to three of the properties. Gotcha. So gotcha. I don't mind going to blind anywhere. Yeah. You know what? I like it too. I mean, there's a part of me that I really like hunting on a property that I've been on for five years. Um, I also like going every once in a while, you know, because my goal is a mature buck, right? I, I, I do the sure. same thing that you, you do, and I put together a hit list um, all the time of, you know, hey, look at here's the here's the deer that are running my property. Now, obviously, that changes every single year because yeah. there's the big shift in, in September that it sounds oh, like sure. that you have as well. And yep. this this shift uh, happens, and then I, I kind of reestablish or reevaluate that hit list to see kind of what's uh, right. what's going on, and and checking last year's data to see if or previous year's data to see if you know these deer maybe come back around during the rut or whatever. And, By even the days they come out, right, right. But there's something about going into a brand new piece of property where you have no information and you're just using basically straight woodsmanship to go read terrain, play the wind and read sign and set up on the best possible spot based off of what you see at that exact moment. That's really exciting to me. Uh, you know, I honestly, in a way, in a way, the thrill of that, I mean, it's just so much of the experience that I'm looking for. Right. Um, you know, so take, take for instance, our opener last year and my wife and like so we're we're kind of like what you might consider modern homesteaders. Okay. Um, we uh, pretty much all I mean I want to say all of our meat is is from us. Um, you know I raise pigs. Um, we have chickens for eggs. They turn into the kids' fat, I guess. Uh, we have chickens for eggs and we have ducks for eggs. Um, pigs, deer, fish. I mean whatever I can put in there. Um, so to my wife, it's very important to me that I um, that I shoot a couple of uh, deer like lickety split. So last season opener was September 15th, and um, it was really it was 85 degrees out. And, you know, you hit Facebook, and everybody's like, yeah, I'm going to the beach today. You know, screw that. I'm not going to go out there, and um, I'm not going to go out there, you know, sweat. and Nothing's moving anyways. And so I said, you know what? I'm going out anyways. I'm not going to go mess up any areas that, I have, that I've, I've thought I've had before. Um, so I, I decided to uh, throw on the sleeve of t-shirt and uh, go across the river in a canoe and to a place where I just basically uh, scoped out that there was uh, some probably some pretty good bedding, um, honestly, from across the river with binoculars. To go across the river, I climbed up a bank that I had never been up before, get to the top of the military crest right there. I'm watching, you know, the wind, the wind's drawn back down into the river, so like, Wind's coming out of the bedding at me. I'm like, okay, this, this seems like it could be a pretty decent place. Climb up to the top of the hill and a, a doe blows. I'm like, oh, interesting. And she stopped probably 60 yards away. I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll stay here and I'll see if anything else starts happening. And then I heard people talking on the river behind me. 
and, and they're like going down the river to canoes. And she hears that too. And she's like, huh, that must be, uh, that must be people down the river that I just heard. So she ends up coming walking like right over to the edge of the river. I'm standing there kind of like down a little dip, about seven yards broadside shot and just absolutely smoked her. She ran off. Um, I, I had her uh, field dressed and back in the canoe in like 45 minutes from the time that I, that I parked the canoe. Um, and then, you know, back across the river, back across the truck, heading home. And honestly, an experience like that for me on a new property that I've actually never been to before. So, you know what? This seems pretty good. Um, to me, I just absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, I love it when a plan comes together like that as well, man. So, yeah. so I guess for, as far as this season is concerned, um, mm-hmm. knowing you're in, I mean, do you always try to go up every single year and, Hey, I shot a three-year-old this year. You know, you, you mentioned that this is the first year that you had a four-year-old on trail camera. On my pro- well, no, on my property. On your property. So yeah, does I, that become... My property is like, the, it's like the gauntlet. Okay. So does that then become a, a kind of a, almost a major focus to try to one-up one up past years yeah. and try to get that buck off on your property? Uh, you know, honestly, um, so I have him on my property, and he's a decent buck, um, and I would shoot him any day, any day of the week. Right. Um, however, in a way I will focus on him maybe a little bit in early bow season. Um, but I have a couple of what I would call better deer other places. Um, so I'll probably focus on them. You know, I shot a, uh, I shot a, um, a two and a half year old buck last year and I shot a three and a half year old buck last year. Okay. Um, I, I have no idea what the scores were like. Um, I, I imagine probably less than a hundred. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like if I had an opportunity for a four and a half year old buck, yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm at the point right now where I am hunting big bucks, but I'm okay shooting, um, the satellite deer if it's, if it's one in the hand. Right. And with six tags, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I, I honestly could shoot five bucks if I wanted to go. Oh, you could? I could, yeah. So, what are the uh, what are the state regulations on that end? Like, I, all right. So, Vermont actually, our new plan is going to one buck next year. Yep. Um, however, this year you can get one in archery, and then you can get one with a uh, with a firearm. Okay. Then you or you get three. You get three antler ones if you want to. Now, okay. New Hampshire does not have a limit on it. So you can get two uh, archery bucks in New Hampshire, and uh, and one um, and one firearm buck. Right. Well, you could, but you get special tags down south, and then you can shoot a couple more. I think you shoot up to six deer there. Gotcha. So, if you wanted to, you could shoot a lot of deer throughout an entire season between Vermont and New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, six between the two of them, really. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and and I usually shoot. I mean, I shoot more than one. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, it's like between two and four. I would say would be the average. Right. So. I want to get your opinion on something because there's a group of, there's a group of people out there that say, first and foremost, I am a meat hunter. But at the same time, those people pass immature or small bucks. Right. Do you think, and this is basically just an opinion question, do you think that those people are really, quote unquote, 
first and foremost meat hunters at that point if they're passing small deer, small bucks? All right. So this is this is this is a place that I have done lots and lots of thinking. And I'm not even sure that I have an answer for it. But let me tell you what I think. Um, you know, so my own personal ethic, um, you know, and so, like I said, I was a chef for a while, too. So you got to think about that a little bit and kind of where all of that comes in with all this. And uh, I actually even tried to be a vegetarian for, uh, for about two weeks. I was working in a barbecue restaurant. That didn't work out so well. Um, and uh, I've been, like, what you call a farm-to-table chef. Yep. And so I, I, I do have, like, some sort of uh, personal ethic around that. And I've run into a lot of vegetarians. And I, what I say to them, and what I say about that is, you know what? If, if you don't think you could kill an animal to eat it, then you know what? I'm actually okay with you being a vegetarian. That's not me at all. Uh, however, the reason for me to kill an animal is to have meat. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and for my own personal ethic, I think that kind of needs to be first and foremost. So when I hit deer season, you know, my goal is definitely to fill the freezer. So, so like if my first day out, like last year, I shoot that hundred pound doe on the first day, that kind of, that relieves a lot of pressure for me. And then, you know, you get into the next week, a couple of weeks later and you shoot another one. And then at that point, I'm kind of really going for the biggest antlers I can. Right. Um, Honestly, I've had opportunities to shoot plenty of like uh, uh, three and four point year and a half year old deer in the past five years, and nothing has nothing in me has ever wanted to shoot them. Um, and so, yeah. So, so I, am I a meat hunter? Yeah. Am I going for the experience? Yeah. Am I? Do I want the biggest rack possible? Yeah. Um, do I want the biggest weight possible? Yeah. Sure, I do. So. Really, honestly, I don't know how to answer that question, but I would have to say, if you put a gun to my head to say antlers and meat, I just have to say meat. Right. I think you, I think a guy can do both, but right for some reason, it just kind of it irks me a little bit. And this is maybe me just being a cynic, you know, getting more cynical yeah. the older I get. Sure. When someone says, "Oh well, man, I own I'm." First and foremost, I'm a meat hunter. I only hunt for, you know, first and foremost, I'm a meat hunter. But then they're out only wanting to kill mature animals and will even pass does certain times of the year to, you know, go out and kill a, you know, kill a, try to try to kill a mature buck. Um, you know, if you're passing an eligible doe um, and you have that tag for that deer, yeah, uh, I'm going to say you're not a meat hunter. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I, agree. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if, when it comes down to that, yeah. you know, I mean, like, I, I've raised animals. You know, I've raised animals for a good a good chunk of my life. And um, I know how much it costs, and I know what you have to do every single morning for them. I know you do have to do every single evening for them. And um, buying the food and fixing fences and all that. And it's, to me, like, I know the value of of, of a chunk of meat walking in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. So if that value is there and that's what I'm going for, yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. I don't like I don't I'm I'm going to be talking about this on another episode with another guest, but like one thing that re- like really pisses me off and I think <laughs> is is I'm I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm also a hypocrite. Uh, that's a label I give myself, but uh labels 
putting labels on hunting like, oh, well, he's a public land hunter or he's a Mm -hmm. uh, private ground hunter or he is a crossbow hunter or he's a, you know, a rifle hunter or whatever. It's almost like you give these labels to people to kick them in the dick just a little bit. Right. It's like, oh, man, marginalize them. Right. Exactly. Oh, man. He shot a great deer. Did it really awesome. But he used a crossbow or he shot a great deer, (laughs) but he shot it on private land. Right. Where Mm -hmm. it's just like in when I played rugby in college, um, there was a thing called a scrum cap where these guys, certain guys would wear it. It's like a pad around your head. Most of the guys Mm -hmm. didn't wear them. So if you wore a scrum cap, we would make fun of you for that, right? right? Just like, you know, like uh, um, you give guys shit about using a crossbow or you give guys shit Mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, oh, yeah, of course you shot that deer. It was late season. It was negative 25 degrees, and he was coming into a standing cornfield that you have on your property, right? Like, of course, of course you shot him, right? So I think it's okay to joke around about it, but sure, like when when you're – With your buddies. Yeah, when you're belittling somebody and trying to – I guess, take them down a notch based off of the success that they've had. And I'm, I, I'll be the first to admit, man, I was guilty of that in the past. And, and to be honest with you, that's not what the sport needs right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, and honestly, when I'm scrolling through Facebook and, you know, you see, you see the, you see the ones that, you know, a lot of the, 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 the big time deer hunters are going to say, yeah, I, you know, why would you waste your time? You know, Every time I see a deer on anybody, especially a new hunter or a younger hunter, oh yeah, um, I I always post great deer. Yeah, you know, awesome. and 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 honestly, that's just what we need because if you look at the numbers, you know, in Vermont we've gone from a uh, hundred thousand deer hunters down to maybe seventy five. Wow, uh, the numbers, the anti, we'll put that number a little bit lower, but yeah, I mean that's over the course of the last twenty years. Yeah, that's so a big in loss. a way, it's like. It's a big loss, and it just means a lot to a lot of things. Uh, it means it means loss of bargaining power at a certain point. In all honesty, uh, especially with our dollars. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm just saying, anybody who wants to do it, let's let's get you some success. Yep. And that's honestly that's kind of my mission with what I've been, you know, what I kind of do. Yeah. I want to help people be successful, whatever success means to them. Right. All right. So and, you have yeah. a you have a, a blog or a website as well. Yeah, 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 I do. Why don't you uh, share what that URL is so everybody can come check out some more of your work? Yeah, so um, uh, the URL is newhitetail.com. And basically what it is, I I started it uh, about six months ago right now, and I think I started it because um, I I talk to people about deer hunting an absolute lot. And a lot of times I kind of repeat the same things over and over again, to all my different friends and all my different acquaintances and students and all that. So really the idea was to kind of start putting all of the information in one place. Yeah. Um, nothing super spectacular about any of it. Um, some of it is kind of like, uh, I wouldn't quite say um, off the wall ideas, but you know, like ideas to kind of really just get you thinking about uh, deer hunting and maybe thinking about it at a different level. Right. Um, so yeah, so I have that. It's, Northeast whitetail, you know, and I'm really kind of like under the umbrella. I'm thinking Maine, uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont. Um, areas of New York are very much like the rest of the Northeast. And then really a lot of this stuff would probably apply, you know, down towards Pennsylvania and maybe some New Jersey, you know, whatever. 
right. Connecticut. Right. Um, but yeah, so so that's that, and then I got the uh, the Facebook page as well. Cool. The North uh, Northeast Whitetail Tactics. Northeast. That's pretty much the name of it. Yeah, but um, yeah, Northeast Whitetail Tactics. Cool, man. Um, well, if you live yeah. in the Northeast, check it out. And uh, Ryan. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, come and BS and chit-chat with us for a while yeah, and share sure. your experiences. And uh, good luck this upcoming season, man. All right, you too, Dan. It's been great. Ladies and gentlemen, we done. That's another podcast in the books. Huge shout-out to Ryan for hopping on and chatting with us today. Huge shout-out. Shout-out. I can't even talk. To you guys. Thank you very much. I say it every time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and downloading and all that stuff. And also, please go out and support the partners of this podcast Lone Wolf, Ripcord, Wasp, Ozonics, Prime, and Vortex Optics. Man, those companies make this happen uh, along with the network partners uh, like Interstate Batteries. Go support those companies because they support this and I continue to put out new content um, and awesome content like the videos uh, the tradition right the video uh, the short film tradition that we just put out please go watch that if you haven't already also if you haven't uh, subscribed to this podcast through iTunes or wherever you download the podcast please do that also subscribe to the YouTube channel Sportsman's Nation Uh, we're putting out lots of good content i shouldn't say lots because we're, we're getting ramped up to do more um i've dropped the ball on the video side of things just because i'm so busy with the network but um, there's going to be more coming especially more short films if you are not following us on social whether that is instagram or facebook sportsman's nation nine finger chronicles and all the other uh guys uh that have podcasts on this network uh be sure to subscribe there and uh i think we're good If you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Happy hump day.